Publisher Podcast, Episode 20. So yesterday, if you're following along with the events that we run through the Women in Publishing Summit, so each month we do a free webinar, we do some training workshops, all of those fun things. You can always find out what's up and coming at womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events. We had a phenomenal roundtable discussion about diversity in publishing. Um, 2020 taught us a lot about how far we still have to go when it comes to equality um, and representation of all voices across the board, inequality in pay, um, in the whole idea of own voices and who should be writing what, in the, the importance of sensitivity readers, all of these things. But the key theme that we talk about and have been talking about for years through the Women in Publishing Summit is the idea of representation in and diversity in publishing and um, and making sure that marginalized voices have the opportunity to share their stories and to publish their works as well. So today's um, podcast is a nice continuation of that discussion. It's an interview that I did with Nathan Caro a few years ago for the Women in Publishing Summit. Nathan is transgender, and we talk a lot about the importance of uh, that particular group of marginalized voices and them having the opportunity to publish and write their stories. It's a great interview, um, really got deep onto some topics um, that I found to be, you know, mind opening for me to really have this discussion with someone that I had never um, really had the opportunity to to, to talk to a, a person in this particular group before. So I hope you'll listen and I hope that you'll learn from it and, and hear the conversation that we had. And then make sure that if this is a topic of interest, the idea of diversity and publishing and making sure that marginalized voices are represented, um, check out the replay from yesterday's webinar. It'll be on the YouTube channel and it'll be on the womeninpublishingsummit.com website under the the replay area. So again, head on over to womeninpublishingsummit.com forward slash events to keep on track of all the things that we have going on. And I hope that you find this discussion interesting. And if you think that you know someone who needs to hear this discussion or would also find this topic interesting, please share with them. And we would love it if you would rate the podcast wherever you are listening to it. If you're enjoying it, um, going over and subscribing and leaving a review helps other people find us as well. So thank you so much. Enjoy this conversation and enjoy your day. Welcome to the Publish Her Podcast, a place where you can come to get inspiration, motivation, help, encouragement, and support in your journey to write, publish, and sell your book. Hosted by Alexa Bigwarf. Cause I've been where you've been And I felt what you're feeling And I don't wanna get in your Okay, so today's interview is going to get into some very interesting and different topics from a lot of the other interviews. We're going to be talking about not only cool and interesting things like um, graphic novels and comic books and fun things like that, but we're also going to dig into this the idea of owned voices and publishing um own voices in publishing and marginalized identities. And those are not my words. Those are the words of our guest for this particular segment, Caro Freshette. 
Rochette. Carol Rochette is a disabled transgender queer man and an illustrator, designer, sequential artist, publisher, and author. Carol has published over a dozen short stories, both graphic and prose, as well as five novels, three graphic novels, and two works of nonfiction. Carol is the author of the online comic, Some Assembly Required, on Tapas. Uh, he has taught creative writing over a decade, has a degree in film studies, and another in sequential art. Carol was the founder and director of the French-Canadian literary magazine Histoire à Boire des Bouts, and was an editor for the French-Canadian graphic novel publisher Première Ligne, and is co-founder of the Ottawa-based publisher Renaissance. So, so much to talk about in this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'd love it if you would just, I mean, this is such a, a different and to, a different topic all around for me. Um, we can dig into small press publishing. We can, we can um, get into uh, minority representation and transgender representation. We can get into comic books. We can get into so many things, but you know, the, the, real impetus behind this was this whole idea of marginalized identities and feeling like women's voices were not um, being as represented as they should be considering how large of a role we play in the publishing industry. So I would love to hear your thoughts on on why this appealed to you and um, a little bit about this whole idea of owned voices publishing. All right, so um, there's many things to answer here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we could spend the whole time just answering that one question. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so basically, um, my MO as a writer and a publisher has uh, been historically that, that I've been primarily interested in own voices and marginalized voices um, because it's it's one thing to say that we need more representation, but the representation that comes from the group that you're trying to represent is always the best kind of representation that you can have. Because obviously we're, we're the best people at telling our own stories, which is why we need more stories, not just about women, but by women, because women write women best, mm -hmm. because that's, you know, their lived experience. Um, transgender people write transgender stories best because that's our lived experience. Um, women of color write stories about women of color best because that's their lived experience. Um, so it's it's so important to read stories that have these characters, but it's even more important to read stories that are written by these marginalized voices uh, because the traditional publishing industry has not let room for a lot of people who were not cisgender heterosexual white men mm. um, traditionally in their ranks. Right. Absolutely. Uh, what are some of the challenges or have you had any challenges? You're in Canada and I don't know, from down here south of that border, it feels like um, there's a much more open-mindedness about many things. I don't know if that's true or not, but have you had struggles um, building a small press as a transgender um, man, woman? You identify as a man, and yeah. but you are you were born female. So yeah, I've, so I've already told female at birth, right? Um, female at birth. That's right. Okay. I, I already told Caro to just feel free to like school me on this topic if I said anything that's that's uh that's not polite. So <laughs> she has been he sorry has been given carte blanche to um to just uh, set me straight. So no worries on that. But have you have you come across problems trying to build a a press and a company a business as a transgender? 
Um, well, it's always difficult to um, to get through to the larger public. Uh, but what I found actually has been that there is such a need and a demand for these stories that it was really easy to find our community. Oh. Um, you know, we started off just being a couple of friends, um, a me and then a couple of girlfriends actually, uh, who, who wanted to publish our own stories. And then we wanted to publish other people's stories. And we thought, well, you know, we'll just, we'll publish people who are local to Ottawa. And it eventually grew into this uh, marginalized voices and own voices representation press because so many of our friends and so many of the people in the circles that we gravitated in and the authors that are looking for places for their stories are marginalized people and are women and are you know queer people and people of color. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's something that actually happened naturally. We didn't set off to build a marginalized voices press, but that's what happened naturally. And when we embrace that and, and we consciously put out an effort to go and find people who have disabilities, uh, you know, attend queer conferences and all that, we really found our public. And then our business actually boomed from it. Yeah, you know, this this brings up a, a, an idea to me that these days with the paradigm of publishing shifting so dramatically from the old days where it was, you know, traditional or bust, where now you have so many opportunities to work with hybrid publishers and smaller presses, like how how important it is to find the right publisher that actually does identify with you and your voice and what you're trying to accomplish. And um, I think this is, as a publisher, I think this is important on so many different levels because you really want someone, we work hard to get books out there and to sell them, my goodness. And you really want someone who's going to throw their passion behind that project. Um, so you mentioned that you kind of came together and decided to publish. Then did you build, is it a self-owned company or did you maintain that partnership? Are you a hybrid or traditional press? How do you guys function as a press? So we kind of function as a traditional press uh, in the means that like, uh, you know, authors submit and, and we have an acquisitions committee actually. So we grew uh, quite significantly. We have a staff of uh, something like five editors, uh, a couple of graphic designers. Uh, we have four people who sit on the acquisitions committee. Um, and it is a partnership that there are three of us who are owners um, and two of us are, are uh, writers and we don't get to decide what books get picked or not uh, and the other one is on the acquisitions committee and uh, the acquisitions committee is made mostly of editors uh, who look at the books and and make a decision and so it's it's not really we've moved away from self-publishing in the sense that we do need to submit our own books and they do need to get approved and it has happened that you know, we submit works that were not quite up to their standards and they have turned us down. <laughs> well, that's a slam. Man, we just turned down our, our CEO's book. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I'm happy that this actually happened because, yeah. you know, it, it legitimizes the whole process. Absolutely. Uh, and and that, that's something that's really important to us because we, we want our, our press to feel sort of like a family mm -hmm. and a community. And, and we started this because we were authors and, and we saw some contracts, like, you know, a couple of us got offered a few contracts that were just terrible. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, things like uh, lifetime of uh, copyrights uh, and, and things like uh, uh, print rights and audio rights for something that's only going to come out as an ebook. Um, so, you know, things that were just 
unfair. And, and so we wanted to do something that would welcome authors, that would make them feel sort of at home. And, and that's why we came about. And our contract is very, very author-friendly. We've, um, very few people have, have made any adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important for us to find a home. And, and this is something that's really parallel to queer identities and queer lives. Uh, when, when you're born queer, you, you're not born into a family of queer people. Usually, usually you'll be the only person that has your experience for a large part of your formative years. You have no idea what's wrong with you, except that you're different. Uh, So when you find that community, you find the roots that you've been looking for your whole life, because you finally find people like you when you're born into a religion or culture, you know, you're born into it and your family is there to support you through the struggles uh, because they understand they have that lived experience to share with you. But being queer, you have that sort of loneliness. And when you find other queer people, they become your family. We have that concept of like found family because we form family units with people who share our experience and mm-hmm. can support us through our struggles. And so Renaissance Press was really made like this. So people who come and people who are marginalized, who are, are you know, uh, disabled people, uh, people who are queer, who are women, who have been through a lot of things, find each other sort of in that little press. And that's something that, um, you know, no big publishing house can offer you. Right. That's, that is absolutely the truth. So um, how many submissions do you generally receive each month or each year? So we've had to be closed for submissions most of the last two years. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> we've recently reopened our submissions uh, in early October. They're still open at the moment. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're pretty busy. We actually have um, until... We have a full publishing calendar until early 2019 at this point. Wow. Um, so, and yeah, so there there definitely is a huge demand for, for placing stories. Uh, clearly. So, um, and you're doing largely, what types of books are you publishing right now? So we're publishing a lot of different things. We have romance, we have paranormal mysteries, we have horror, we have a sci-fi comedy. Uh, you know, we have parody, we have a lot of different things. So our only condition is that our acquisitions committee have to fall in love with the book. Uh If we don't fall in love with it, then we won't publish it. And when we do fall in love with it, we know how to design it. We know how to market it. We know how to promote it. And and we do a good job. So we don't have a certain, you know, guideline of like what to send and everything. We'll publish you probably more if you have, if you're, a member of a marginalized group mm-hmm. uh, but basically we just have to fall in love with your book and oh. the four people on the committee have wildly different tastes <laughs> <laughs> well that must be a challenge in itself uh, um so what can you tell well speaking of if we have people who want to submit in any of those genres and are thinking about potentially using your company or just in general for publishing i imagine this is very widely um Uh, the truth. What types of things do you recommend to authors to do to have a good submission? So the number one thing is to read the submissions guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that it seems like a no-brainer, but uh, you'd be shocked at how many submissions that we received that just 
did not follow our guidelines or lifted our email off of something and send it to us with like 50 other publishers in the uh <laughs> in the cc didn't even blind cc it just boom <laughs> yeah exactly um so definitely just read the guidelines it's you know you can have the best story ever if if it's not submitted in the right format at the right address um it won't even get read you know we do receive a ton of submissions and and when you're trying to impress us with your submission and you're not even reading the guidelines that we've set out for you, that sort of tells me the relationship that you'll have with editing. Yes. Um, so definitely read the guidelines. Um, after that, just, you know, go look at the company, look at the books. Do they look good to you? Uh, you know, if you're not happy with any of the covers that you see there, you're probably not going to be a good fit because not because, you know, we won't like you, but if you're not happy with what we do, you'll probably not be happy with what we do to your book. Right. right. Um, so, so make sure that you'll be happy with us, you yeah. know, before, before wanting to submit. And that's good for any other publisher. Absolutely. That's a great point. You know, it's um, interesting. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting that I do hear people, you know, there are still a lot of people who are very like, it is just their dream and their thing to be picked up by a traditional publisher. Um, they want to go to big houses, which I always try to educate people on. There are still many, many ways that you can be traditionally published without having to go to Penguin or Random House or, mm -hmm. you know, one of these other places. But it makes me wonder just that that thought, that statement that you just made about following the guidelines. How many times are people not following the the guideline submissions and their books not even being read because they they made a mistake somehow some way so i think that's a huge and important fact yeah um do you require authors to come in through an agent or do you work directly with authors so we work directly with authors um authors can have an agent uh, obviously but uh it's really not a requirement mm -hmm. uh we we like to build a personal relationship with our authors so we mm -hmm. actually prefer you know the be submitted directly from authors. Um, and, and we do prefer to publish Canadians. Okay. Um, Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, but, but you'd be surprised. I have a lot of Canadians in my, in my group and in my coaching programs and things like that. So I'm sure there are a few listening to this as well. So now you know where to go find Renaissance books, press.com Renaissance. Yeah. Book Renaissance.com. Yeah. Um, cool. And I kind of cut you off with a different question. Did you have other suggestions for a good publication submission? Um, yes, please submit your best work. Um, so if you're doing NaNoWriMo this month, which awesome, uh, or, or actually we're recording in November, I know that it's not going to air in November, but, uh, please don't submit in December. Right. Project. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you saw what I did after my first round, you'd be like, oh, <laughs> not only are we not taking this one, we are banning her from future submissions for life. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. No. Yeah. NaNoWriMo submissions, though. <laughs> and definitely have someone who's not your mom look at your book. Or if your mom's an editor and you know she's going to be super harsh on you, do have her look at your book. But you <laughs> want someone who uh, will give you honest feedback and tell you where things don't work so that you can fix them. Um, revision, revision, revision. And yeah, make sure the, the publisher is a good fit for you. Yeah, I think that's a great point. 
um, on both of those things. And because I think people just, that's another assumption I think that may be made is that they send in their manuscript and the, um, and the publishing house is going to edit it for them anyway. So why should they do publishing? But when you're talking about receiving thousands of submissions, or even if it's a smaller number to the point that you're closed for submissions, you know, you really want to, it's worth the investment of having it at least proofread if not yeah. full on edited prior to submitting to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you want to definitely have a couple of better readers at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not, we're not going to reject you if you have like spelling mistakes. We do have editors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, if, if your book is, has so many structural things wrong with it that we need to, you know, ask for a rewrite, uh, then that's something that our editors are not equipped to deal with. We can do some structural editing, but we have, refused manuscripts that needed too much work that we were still happy with yeah um so there is a certain level of work that we can we can do with you we can proofread we can do a line edit we can do a little bit of structural but you know a a first draft state is definitely not something we can work with right and you know we're just uh, knocking out um ideas all over the place here that you that you don't have to worry about editing because the publisher's going to do it is not the case um yeah. Okay. So let's talk about comic books for a minute. Cause I think it's really cool that you guys do that. You have done comic books um, and, and graphic novels. So what's the, what, what would be the difference between a graphic novel and a, and a comic book, first of all. So graphic novel is more, people disagree on that. You know, they say that graphic novel is just a thicker format, but my definition is a graphic novel is a novel in comic book form. So it's a complete work. Usually um, it's, it's going to be a few hundred pages at least. Um, and, and a comic book is the, the comics that you pick up sort of from the corner store, you know, the, the uh-huh. sort of saddle stitch, little folded leaflets uh-huh. um, like that. Uh, but they're, they're both the same basic means of expression, which is storytelling through still images and words. And do they sell well, graphic novels? They do. They, they sell, um, they do have a, a good market for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on, on what genre. They're sort of a genre in and of its themselves, but they also have subgenres. So you have like superhero comics, you have uh, traditional like uh, Japanese comics, you have the you know, French Canadian comics, which are completely different from the European comics. <laughs> um, so you have a lot of different genres. Uh, it's a huge industry and especially in Europe, uh, which means in Quebec where I am, it's, it's kind of a funny geographical location because we're, we're kind of in the middle of two cultures yeah. uh, between the French culture and the North American English culture and our comic books reflect that a lot in which they have a lot of influence from the, uh, the sixties graphic novels that were published, you know, the the sort of Harvey Picard, Robert Crumb and all that. Uh, But we also have the influence of European storytelling, which has never sort of had the so very brief history lesson in the United States in the fifties. Uh, there was issued something called the comics code um, 
that prevented people from uh, writing about adult subjects in comics. So oh. you thought, yeah, you couldn't discuss things like divorce, homosexuality, you couldn't uh, portray the police in a bad light. And that oh. sort of served to infantilize comics for many, many de decades to come afterwards uh, in North America. But we didn't have that in Canada and the Europe didn't have that in their comics. So uh, Europe, comics for adults and i'm not talking you know pornographic things i'm just talking right. stories like you know novels for adults uh, flourished as an art form in europe where they stagnated a bit in the united states mm -hmm. um and then sort of stayed in that you know dc marvel right kind of <laughs> place so um quebec developed its own sort of storytelling with the means that we have and we uh what i mean by that is quebec was not rich all the time, um, especially French Canadians, we have the sort of history of uh, you know oppression and poverty. And anyways, all that to say that black and white comics became extremely popular uh, uh -huh. in Quebec, and and autobiographical storytelling became also extremely popular in Quebec. And this is the the niche that sort of flourishes the most right here. Really. Yeah, that that's an interesting. So, I mean, like potentially someone writing a memoir could consider doing it in a graphic memoir. In, yeah, a graphic memoir is actually uh, one of the best selling genres in uh, graphic novels. That's super interesting. I know a lot of people who are who are considering memoirs right now or starting in that process. And for me, I mean, what an interesting way to uh, to reach a completely different kind of audience with your message. Definitely. Wow. So as we talk about, like, is it possible, you know, we talk about having different versions of a book, you have your, your print book and your ebook and your audio book. Do you ever see people taking a traditional print book and then making a graphic novel version of it? In, like, there are the memoir? tons of graphic novels adaptations out there. Um, really? so, so my day job is uh, at the public library, actually. Uh -huh. And um, I see adaptations, especially teen novels. Uh -huh. uh, there's been adaptations of Twilight, of uh, Cassandra <laughs> Clare's books, of uh, uh, so many of the popular teen series have been adapted, like Maximum Ride. They've been adapted in graphic novels a lot of the time in the manga styles that really appeals to teenagers. Mm -hmm. And what's a manga style? Oh, so, so that's the, the traditional Japanese. Uh, oh, style. okay. 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 I'm not a huge fan, but I'm old. So that, that's probably <laughs> why, you know, I am definitely nowhere near the teen years anymore. Oh, well, that's super interesting. So what if somebody has already finished their book and is looking for other markets to get it into and, and a graphic novel might be a way to go? What would be kind of some of the costs associated with doing another version? in the graphic novel form. So if you're if you're commissioning an artist to do a graphic novel, um, you can profit share if, if you're friends with the artist. If not, it's quite costly, yeah, actually. Okay. So if, if you want to um, think about how much it might cost, uh, so one page of comic will take between two and eight hours to do mm -hmm. for an artist. So imagine the rate that you would want to be paid per hour, and that's probably how much it's going to cost you to per page um, to commission this. Yowza. Yeah. <laughs> so you could really plunk a huge amount in there, but what would the return on investment be? Generally speaking, I know you can't, I can't promise. Yeah, it's what, um, <clears throat> no guarantee. Probably the same as if you've ever self-published anything, uh, you can look at these numbers and compare. Yeah. Um, now, 
you can always learn to draw. And I'm not saying <laughs> in, a, in a snide sort of no. like No, way. I can't. <laughs> but there are a lot of comics out there. Like you look at XKCD, which is one of the most um, popular comics out there, and Cyanide and Happiness, they're stick figures. They're literally <laughs> stick figures. Um, because in comics, since comic is a storytelling mode, the story is most important. If you're, if you're telling a good story and you have a sense of visually how you want your story to progress, your art style is a little bit irrelevant to a certain point. I'm just imagining this. Uh, I just have this in my head of me coming out with my family to my family and showing them my brand new book that I've just illustrated. <laughs> I, saw, I saw stick figures. The look on my mother's face, that's what made me giggle there because I just, but heck, I mean, some, you know, like you said, if it's a good story and there's a marketplace for it, people will go for it. Well, that's, that's really, honestly, that's something I'd never even thought about doing, but I think there are so many books that would lean themselves to go that direction with the right imaginative force behind it. Definitely. And with, with actually online comics, there is a resurgence of serials right now for, for books and, and novel. Mm -hmm. um, I'm following a, a serial right now that I'm completely obsessed with called Trem and Ten by uh, Ellen Kushner and many other writers. Uh, so they, they release an episode. It's about 20,000 words per episode uh, and they release it once a week. So they write a whole season in uh -huh. advance uh -huh. and then it, it's sort of a serial, exactly like Charles Dickens back in the day. Huh or Sherlock Holmes, you know, they would print like an episode in the paper. Um, so if you're interested in another avenue of storytelling and you might want to try comics, but you're not sure, you can look at things like Tapas that have comics and novels as serials. Uh -huh. Released an episode at a time. Well, that's cool. So let's, let, what is um, some assembly required on tap and tapas then so that we, I, I didn't, we didn't explain it at all. We mentioned it in your bio. So, <laughs> so tapas is, uh, it's sort of a, a host, I guess. Think about it as a blog, but it's for comics. So instead of uploading mm -hmm. like a blog post, you would upload a comic page um, yeah. and they have a section for novels. So you would upload like a chapter or an episode of your novel once a week or so. Uh, and they have a phone app so people can look uh, on their phone for the new episode of the comic or, mm -hmm. or book or whatever. And uh, you get paid uh, by view. It's very, very little, uh, but it's, <laughs> it's something. <laughs> it's something. Uh, and people can tip you if they like oh. your, your post. So they can watch videos like commercials to gather coin and then they can give you that coin. Cool. It is That's very a cool. very innovative way. And, and then you're not like, you're not asking people to give out of their pocket, but they can still find ways to support you as an artist. Exactly. That is, that's very innovative. So now do you own the rights to these things? Like, could you take them down and then publish them in a separate book or Absolutely. once you publish? Yes, you can. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, and I have actually uh, published one. My latest graphic novel is uh, the first four chapters of my comics on assembly required on Tapas. Very cool. My mind is blown here. This is like <laughs> a whole new world for me, but I really see like the value, particularly for fiction authors, but I can see how nonfiction people could also, I mean, if they really had the time and the, and the desire to get creative with whatever it is that they're doing, like my mind is just going here, like how you could reach a completely different segment of the marketplace. I mean, imagine, okay, so 
just to uh, in full disclosure here, like a large part of our audience is, um, well, I'm hoping that a large part of our audience is um, entrepreneurs who are looking to write books to build their business. But can you imagine like if you're, um, if you're trying to target or reach um, millennials or people that are just coming out of high school or into the workplace, like taking yeah. that and putting it in a form that would really mean something to them. I mean, there's like tons of possibilities mm-hmm. here. Definitely. And things like Tapas, uh, Tapas readers, you know, they, they just open their app. And like, I, I publish on Tapas, but also read a lot of stories and comics on Tapas. So, you know, I open and I go to publish my thing. And then I have my little feed that mm-hmm. tells me, oh, these stories have updated. Do you want to read them? So you don't even have to like go out of your way. You do obviously have to post on Facebook and all that to gain followers. Right, right. But then afterwards, it's built in where your followers get notified every time you update your story. Oh, that's really cool. So I suppose to make this the best, you have to actually be the illustrator unless, because if you're only getting paid pennies. <laughs> if, if you're lucky and you have an illustrator friend who wants to team up with you and do a comic, uh-huh. um, then it's definitely a good thing to have a team up with. Because, uh, you know, you can you can share the story. A lot of the time in comic books, there's going to be one person who writes the script and one person who does the the art. Mm -hmm. So if you do find someone who wants to team up with you, then that's great. If not, you can also use the the novel feature. I need to shut my brain down right now because (laughs) I'm all of a sudden like, I'm going like, I'm going to write a comic book. I'm going to go find an illustrator. I know I have a friend who's an illustrator. Let's do this. Let's write some comic books. No, I have enough going on. But for any of you who are interested in that idea, this is so cool. So um, do you do any kind of like uh, teaching or, or consulting or anything like that for people who are interested in starting out in this particular uh, area? Sure. Actually, uh, I do. I do a, a bit of coaching. I don't take on too, too many clients, but I do take on some clients. Uh, you can always reach me for a quote, depending on what you want to do at uh, caro, C-A-R-O dot Frechette. That's F-R-E-C-H-E-T-T-E at gmail.com. That is so cool. So yeah, if you're in the line of business where you're thinking about doing a graphic novel or even, you know, want to branch out with what you've already written or you're in fiction that obviously leads to a graphic novel, um, then definitely find Caro and get some more information on that. So I like to end these with like uh, three or four of your top tips. Being that we've covered like four different, completely different areas, <laughs> you can go wherever you want to with these tips. But um <laughs> you know, I, I would guess we probably want to try and focus on small press publishing. Maybe, maybe your best tips could be about, um, how people can own their own voices and make sure that they are properly represented if that's where you want to go. And if not go where you want to. Um, no, definitely. If you, if you want to see a story and you can't find it, definitely write it. Uh, don't censor yourself at all, ever. I spent so much of my time censoring myself and not writing queer stories because, uh, you know, I didn't want to be like put into a box of like the queer author. Uh, and that was a huge mistake uh, because I, I, I wasted time that I could have been telling the stories that really, really mattered to my heart uh, instead of something that I thought was more commercial. And I found that all the stories that I've written that were closer to my heart were easier to place than the ones I thought would be commercial. Uh, so always stay true to what you want to say from, from your gut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't worry about weird place or, or, you know, how commercially viable it is. There's always a place for a story that's true. 
Oh, that's um, a good point. Then the second is, <laughs> uh, I always find that I regret not doing things a lot more than I regret doing things. So if you're if you're wanting to start this project and if you're hesitating and and you know what 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 is the worst that could possibly happen? Try things. You know when when you're 85 and and looking back on your life, you're gonna know how it went because you're gonna have tried. Right. Oh, that's great advice. Well, thank you very much for covering a completely different uh, scope of the publishing world. And I know from our conversation before we started recording that you are also passionate about seeing women's voices more fully represented. So I appreciate um, basic everything that you provided today. It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Publisher Podcast. We hope to see you back for the next episode. Great, huge thanks goes to Jasmine Commerce for the use of her song. You can find Jasmine on SoundCloud. Go check out all of her music. We'll see you next time.